Welcome to episode 78 of Published. Today, we're joined by Doug Sandler, CEO of Turnkey Podcast Productions and co-host of the Nice Guys on Business podcast. Doug will answer your questions about how podcasting can build an author platform and tips to succeed. Welcome to Published, a podcast by Greenleaf Book Group, where we'll discuss the ins and outs of the publishing industry, from writing a book and finding the right publisher, to gearing up for a book launch. And now, here's your host, Greenleaf Book Group CEO, Tanya Hall. Podcasting has soared in popularity over the past decade, in large part due to how easy they are to create and to enjoy. Podcasts provide many of the benefits of traditional media to showcase a speaker's personality and insight while being accessible to anyone with a microphone, a game changer for anyone building a brand and trying to find an audience. Having polished content that lives online and can be shared and discovered anytime is an excellent way to legitimize your work. In today's episode, Doug will draw upon his experience building podcasts for authors and as a podcaster himself to share how to get started from the idea phase all the way to gaining listeners and monetizing your show. Doug, welcome to Published. Thanks, Tanya. Happy to be here. And I've been listening to some episodes of your show and excited to, to dig into the content. Awesome. Well, let's do it. Why don't we start by having you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? You mean aside from uh, the uh, the cat dad to five rescue cats? Is that is is that actually not my career? <laughs> well, the last time I spoke with you, there was a really cute tuxedo in the background. I don't see that one today, but sure. <laughs> yeah, she, she's out and about. So uh, my name's Doug Sandler. I am a uh, a podcast producer uh, and strategist. So we help people launch, grow, and build their their podcasts. Uh, a lot of people don't know how to actually start a podcast, but beyond the start, it's actually, what do I do now that I have this thing going? So we have a full book of clients that are all in the business space that are looking to grow their community, build their influence, and, and make money podcasting. And that's exactly what we help them do in addition to the production side of things as well. Awesome. Well, I know a lot of authors are curious about podcasts, know that it's a Another potential way to meet an audience and, as I like to say, put their content into just a different package, just like ketchup coming out of a bottle or a squeeze pack or whatever. You, you just have to meet the audience where they are in many cases. And increasingly, that is in the podcast universe. So mm -hmm. can you maybe talk about some of the reasons why podcasts are such a good option for authors looking to reach an audience? I can I can really share this from from my perspective because I was an author that was trying to find a way a promotional way to put my book out there into the world and I didn't have the deep pockets that let's say a publicist or a PR agent was going to uh, you know charge me I, it was it was some ridiculous number for me at the time it was thousands of dollars every month so I thought well maybe I can figure out some of the things that I can do myself so I can start my own social media channel and I can start my own um, you know promotional tool and and then. I struck upon podcasting as a way to actually use, uh, you know, to, to promote my book. So I started this show called The Nice Guys on Business on the tail end of just publishing my book called Nice Guys Finish First. And that was nine years ago now. So 1,400 and some odd episodes, 5 million downloads later, you know, hundreds or thousands actually of of books sold. And the book was just kind of like the lead in to, to podcasting. So as a promotional tool, podcasting was a great way to not only meet potential people that could bring me in to speak to their organizations, but people that might be interested in buying bulk amounts of my book, uh, building relationships with people that I never would have had an opportunity to meet if I just picked up the phone and called and said, hey, would you be open to buying a hundred of my books, let's say for your for your organization? It's so much easier to 
have them sit in the guest seat, share a, a story or two and, and, and their message with my audience. So it's a win for them as the company and a win for me because now I've met this person that I never would have actually had an opportunity to meet before. In addition, the, the, the community out there that's listening to the show, they're also interested in the content and the book as well. So it was a great starting point for me to, uh, to really start the promotion of my book. Yeah, that's a good point that it kind of opens up this dialogue and helps you create a relationship that's absent many times when you are trying to get those big bulk sales, which every author is <laughs> always chasing. And, and they come to us and say, hey, how do I secure bulk sales? And we, we hate to break their hearts, but we always turn it around and say, it's really about your relationships. You can't just knock on someone's door and say, how about 500 books? <laughs> well, right. And, and you know, if you think about it, your audience will be interested in the onesie twosies. So you'll be able to sell a book or two to them as you are bringing your your content. The guest sitting in the guest seat or the, the person that's listening, that's running an organization, they're the perfect opportunity for you to provo- uh, put your book into, uh, into the dozens or hundreds and sometimes thousands of books to a single organization that might really relate to your message and you have an opportunity to build a relationship with that with that audience member that's coming back week in and week out to listen to your content they fall in love with you as the host and it's it's a natural uh moving point to the next thing is okay well how can i get closer to this guy that's hosting this show uh and and the easiest way to do that is just to connect with the host, find out how the relationship can get better. What what more can I do for engagement with that audience member, and uh, and put books in their hands, which is really the, the was the main purpose of the podcast. All of the other stuff that came with it, which was consulting and speaking opportunities and all of those other things, they fell into place too. So it did start from uh, maybe a, a smaller sale, a lead-in sale, a book sale, but it did evolve into a much greater journey and a greater uh, opportunity for me in consulting and speaking with those organizations. Yeah, congrats. That's awesome. Well, our listeners are certainly spanning many genres when we think about the types of work that they either are working on now or planning to publish or have published. And they have different goals too, in terms of reaching an audience. So in your experience, because now you have tons of these podcasts under your belt, is there a certain type of content that works best in a podcast format? Well, I find if the if the person that is writing the book has a business connected to the subject matter of the book that they are writing about, uh, it makes it a really easy handshake for starting a podcast. People get into podcasting for really one of three reasons. They're either interested in growing their community or building influence, being the go-to person in their field, or they want to make money. There's nothing wrong with any of those three, and there's and there's no right one over wrong one. It, there's just a strategy that's attached to all three of those. So I look at it and think, hey, what industry would work well? Well, if you have an industry that's connected to the subject matter of your book, that would be the first thing that I would that I would say. But if you have, you know, the the industries that I have found do really well. Um, speaking industry, uh, coaching and consulting works really well. Entrepreneurship, anything in the business industry at all. Finance works really well. The legal community, medical works really well. If you have a high-end ticket item, something you're selling in addition to your book, that also makes for a great podcast message too, because again, you're building a relationship. People won't buy a, a 10 or a 20 or a $50,000 service from somebody on one call. But if they have an opportunity as they're listening to build that relationship over, you know, two, three, four months of listening to your show. To I've had clients that have come from my show that have been listening to the show for six, seven years that I never even knew were in my audience. So I've nurtured that relationship kind of like an email drip campaign, but using audio instead of the written word 
to uh, to build that relationship. So there's not one specific industry that would work better than another, but those are the ones that I have found have worked very well on my client list. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned earlier that you initially began this podcast journey because the cost of a PR, traditional publicist campaign would be prohibitive at the time. So I know I talked to a lot of authors about podcasts and they kind of cringe and think that it's going to be expensive and or sort of beyond their capabilities to set that up on their own. Can you talk a little bit about the, sure. the nuts and bolts of costs and what they can expect to look at in terms of getting started if they went this route? Yeah, there's a couple of really easy methods to get started podcasting. One is you go to Google and you just type in start a podcast and it gives you probably <laughs> a, a thousand, a hundred thousand different opportunities for you to start a podcast and instructions and you know YouTube videos and all of that. That's for those that want to be really hands-on with their application and getting a podcast started because there's really two phases of podcasting. The first phase is the launch phase where you're building all of the elements to your show, things like your cover art and your show description and your open and close, the voiceover, the royalty-free music. You're establishing a relationship with Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the different platforms that are out there. And some people really love the idea of jumping in and doing that themselves. There are others that don't want to do that at all. You know, so they want a, a concierge service, a white glove, you know, treatment in in putting this together. And those tend to be the more expensive services that are out there. So you can go from free with an organization like Google, just typing it out. You can do a, a DIY type of course where you take somebody like me that has created a course for it and spend probably a thousand bucks putting the course together. And but you're still doing all the work yourself. And then on the high end, you have again an organization like mine that can do full service, and you'll probably be in the five to ten thousand dollar range to to put something like that together too. We're not embarrassed by our pricing. We don't feel like we overcharge. We feel like we really deliver a high quality service for what we do. And we know we have a formula that we've launched 350 plus shows, produced 10,000 plus client episodes. So we're never concerned that, you know, are we overcharging? Are we undercharging? I think we're just right in the industry. You could probably produce an NPR style show and spend a hundred thousand dollars on getting the production together, um, but we wanted to bring it to a to a level where it made sense for people that are publishing books, professional speakers. We didn't want to be available to everyone, so that's why our prices are what are what they're at. And just in case you've just caught someone's interest there, would you like to give them the URL that they could go to to learn more about what you just described? Sure. I mean, if they want to go to turnkeypodcast.com, that would be a great starting point. It really would be probably even better just to have, you know, go to the contact me page on on the turnkey site. Probably best just to have a, a preliminary conversation with me or somebody on the team just to see if podcasting is even a good opportunity for them. And and there's no pitch in that call. It really is just an information fact-finding session. We love to find out, you know, what is it that are your goal? What are your goals for for launching a podcast? And happy to share with that person, whoever is going to contact us, how to do it if they choose to and the different opportunities that they have. And th there's no pressure to sign up now or, you know, we have a 24-hour sale going on. None of that. It's we're, we're tried and true in this business. We want to only work with the people that really want to take care of this and get it done. Let's go back to content. So some folks may, let's say, have a business book. I know you also had a business book and may be struggling to think about how do I get enough content to support an entire podcast out of this book, even though it is my life's work, a lot of it doesn't seem to translate into that format. So how can somebody, let's, let's focus on nonfiction. How can somebody with a nonfiction book go about thinking about their content in terms of translating it into a podcast? 
Well, let's take a, a typical book that might be between 10 and 15 chapters. Well, we know we have at least 10 to 15 episodes right in those chapters because we can dissect each one of those chapters and create an episode. Once you do that and are, are comfortable, and that's enough content for you to start to feel comfortable in the podcasting space, we start to work on the strategy. Does it make sense to have interviews? or possibly panel conversations, or do we want to do solo casts? We want your audience to know enough about you to want to take the step out of anonymity and, and get to know who you are by letting you know through a lead magnet or opt-in page a little bit more about you. But we don't want to provide all of the information so they never want to call you. So the nice part about it is there's a there's a balancing act, and that's all in the in the strategy. So starting point is let's dissect the book. Second phase is maybe we talk panel conversations or solo casts or interviews, and then we can figure out what is a good way to build a content calendar. That's the other thing that's nice about working with a, a full-service organization like ours or any others that are out there for that matter, is that um, is that you want to work with someone that can help you create that content calendar so you're not feeling like, oh my God, I have this blank canvas and I don't know where to go with it. So we really do help fine-tune the uh, the content calendar with you as well. Yeah, that's super important. And one, something I've learned, we only do one a month here unpublished, but something I've learned is that you get to a point where you're just really racking your brain to come up with something new. So having a partner like that can be invaluable on that uh, front. Can I, can I add something to that? Because I think that it's, I think it's essential to understand that in the beginning, that is everyone's worry. I'm going to run out of content. Nine years into this, I would tell you, and, and 1,450 episodes later, we have probably about a year's worth of future content that we already have built into our arsenal, into our recording bank. It's not a relevant thing down the road. In the beginning, it is. And it's one of those times where it's like, it's the same thing with technology. Oh, I never, I don't know technology. I'm not sure how I'm ever going to you know, figure out the microphone and all that. Once you get on and, and start working that flywheel, it's slow at the beginning, but then it really becomes very easy. Right now, because we have an interview-based show, I probably have 75 to 100 people every week apply to be on my show. I will never run out of content. I promise you, I will never run out of content. And for those that listen to our process and our strategy and, and are engaged in our systems, they'll never run out of content either. So it's, it, it is a question that is brought up all the time by our newer clients, but it is one that once they're a handful of months into it, they're like, I can't believe I was worried about that. So <laughs> awesome. Well, for the folks who haven't yet achieved <laughs> the notoriety that you've achieved that brings all these interviewees to you, how would they go about finding guests? And on the flip side of that, how would they go out putting themselves out there as a guest to be interviewed? Well, it's a, you have a great platform for finding guests. So I would go to any publisher that has new authors that are trying to expose their book to the marketplace. That's a great spot. Uh, I've even found authors from the the book rack at the airport where I know that they're in an extra promotional spot because that's not a free place for them to be hanging their book. So I know they're really engaged in wanting to to promote their book. I have some great relationships now with PR agencies, publicists, other publishers that are out there, business consultants that have clients clients that have content that they want to get out to the world, podcast placement agencies that are out there. The list is endless. And that doesn't even start to approach, oh, how about all of those people that are on your personal list, all of your prospects that are potentially have a great message to share? What a great way to build a relationship with a prospective client is to have them sit in your, in your guest seat, build a relationship with them, and then share their message with your audience. So there are a number of opportunities. And again, it is early on, it's a concern. 
a few months in, a handful of months in, it is never a concern. It's like, whoa, I got to stop the flow a little bit of the guests because I got to figure out where my content's coming from. Yeah. And once you get to that coveted point, <laughs> how do you go about growing your listenership? That's a part of this that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. Well, the biggest area that you're going to actually grow your listenership is going to be, if you do have an interview-based show, is going to be from the person that's sitting in your guest seat. So that guest that's coming on your show, they have a community just like you have a community. And who wants to hear more about that guest? Well, their community wants to hear a little bit of a slightly different angle. So if you establish some, let's call them rules, before that that um, schedule link is given to that guest. And the rules are things like, hey, we're going to promote this. How are you going to promote this as well? You start to build your community on the shoulders of people that have built big communities. In addition to your guest that's sitting in the guest seat that is applying to be on your show, you can actually go after guests that have large communities with the hope that if I put this person in the guest seat and one of the rules I, I share with them is you're going to have to share this with your community, they love it too because they have big communities that they want to share it with. So you may only, you know, in the beginning, you may say, I want to grow my community quickly. Well, a great way to do that is look at Instagram and look at all of the people that are in your industry or on LinkedIn, people that are in your industry that have 20,000, 40,000, 100,000 followers or connections. It's a great way to grow your community. And as long as you've established some rules and some fair play, Look, when somebody comes to a publisher and they say, I want to publish a book, sometimes the publisher says, great, we'll think about publishing your book. How big is your community? I'm really curious. So it is no different in the podcasting space as well with your guests. We want guests that have large communities because that's where a lot of promotion comes from. That's great advice for sure. And I think another important point to emphasize and one that won't be unfamiliar to the folks listening is you have to be willing to make the ask, right? Just the, the same way that if your book is out there in the world and someone says, I really liked your book, you have to train yourself to respond with, that's awesome. Would you please leave me a review? <laughs> oh, yeah. And if you if you if someone says, I love your podcast, or they were a guest on your podcast, it's not unfair for you to turn around and say, great, please rate it and leave a review. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, when I first published my book, one of the things my objective was I want to get to 100 reviews as quickly as I possibly can. And I know that's kind of that coveted number. If I can get to 100 reviews, people looking at my book on Amazon or wherever they're searching will will start to give me some, whether it's relevant or not, I feel like they're going to give me some credibility because I have 100 reviews. It's no different in the podcasting space. If I see someone that has 100 episodes out of their show, but they have two reviews, I'm thinking there's not a lot of engagement going on with that with that host. But if I see somebody that has 100 episodes and has 200 reviews, now I know that this is a, a show that has a locked-in community. So as a guest, I always encourage people, look for the shows that have 50 to 100 episodes that are out, 50 to 100 reviews, and you probably are in a good spot with someone that has a show that's connected. And again, that's where you're growing your community too. But you're 100% right, Tanya. You have to you have to approach this strategically. If you go at this and, and say, I'm just, build it and they will come, it's just <laughs> not going to happen. It doesn't happen in any environment, especially a crowded environment like the book environment or the podcasting space. But you absolutely can separate yourself from those that are just hobbyists in podcasting. Treat it like a business and it will give you business results. Yes, very well said. Uh, let's get into some jargon. So <laughs> there exists broadcasting and narrowcasting. Can you explain to our audience what those two terms mean? Because they probably know what broadcasting is generally, but narrowcasting, what is that? And then 
which one should they be shooting for? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you asked that question. I talk about this with my clients all the time, and I can use an example of a show that I actually host. I have a show called Ford Mustang, the Early Years Podcast. Now, it it only talks about the first generation Mustangs because I'm a classic car fan. I have a 65 Mustang sitting in my garage. And the people that love those uh, first gen 65 to 67 Mustangs are probably male, probably 50 to 80 years old. It's just just the nature of I know that market in and out. I don't want to broadcast to all my classic car, all classic car people. I only want to talk to the first generation Mustang owners and enthusiasts. So I've created a show called Ford Mustang, the early years podcast. And that show gets about a thousand to 1500 downloads per episode, which is a fairly decent amount. The industry standard is somewhere between 50 to a hundred. The good people are getting 200. Good podcasters are getting 200 downloads. So for us to get a thousand downloads an episode, we're actually focused just on the market that I want to talk to. The relevance, the the reason why that's important is because we want to narrow cast. We're creating a message just speaking to that to that market. So when I have my general business show, the nice guys on business, we get thousands of downloads an episode. It's great. It's great to have thousands of downloads. However, the issue is that whenever we do a call to action on that show, meaning we're asking our audience to take action on something, we may only get 0.1, of our audience may take action. So we may get 20 people that take action on a call to action on the nice guys on business broadcast, narrowcast our Ford Mustang show. If I have a, a listening audience, let's say it's just a thousand listeners on that show, I'll put out a call to action. We'll get 20 to 30%. That wow. means 200 to 300 people will opt into something that we have whether it's a, a bonus, whether it's a swag bag, it's a service guide, anything like that. And I love it because we'll get people to take action on pretty much anything. So I know that if I ask my audience to do something, if I had a book, first must uh, first generation Mustangs, if I created that book, I probably could sell two to 300 copies of that book just by having an episode that I introduced the book to my audience. So it's a built-in audience that's ready for taking action. So narrow casting, the the micro niches, the smaller the audience, uh, actually the better the audience, the more refined your audience, the better. So I don't look for 10,000 people not taking action. I'd rather have 100 people actually taking action. Uh, and that's that narrow cast. You said that so well, and it's very true on the publishing side as well, of course. We often have people who come in and submit their book, and there's a question asking them to describe their audience. And you know, it always gets a chuckle out of us when it says everybody. <laughs> no, it's not everybody. So I, mean, I think it takes some discipline sometimes to try and put a face to your audience if you have to, you know, come up with the persona and and really let that drive strategically all of your promotion. And the and the nice thing about it is once you have your your podcast up and running and you've been doing it for any length of time at all, any length of time being probably more, greater than 12 months, your audience will tell you what they're actually looking for. You know, they'll reach out and they'll say, I'm looking for this guest. I'm looking for this product. I'm looking for this service. Can you provide that or can you guide me? And when you get that, you're in a a winning position. And I know that doesn't necessarily relate to writing a book, but if the catalyst to you starting a podcast is a published book, you'll quickly discover in in 12 months or so, you'll quickly discover what it what your audience wants how great would it be to have your market raise their hand and say this is what i want to buy from you can you create it and so that is that is what has led to um a, a robust business for us uh out of our our production business because our audience actually tells us what they want and so do our and so do our guests 
Yeah, I love that. That's the key to entrepreneurship, right? Having totally. an ear to the ground. You mentioned a couple of interesting benchmarks in a response, like a couple of questions ago, you were talking about what a good download number would be for an episode. And I think a lot of people probably have questions around that topic. Like what does success mean for a podcaster? When are you doing it right? What are some of those key benchmarks that they should be looking for? Well, I want to I want to get out of the way this thing called the ego metrics. Ego metrics are downloads. So when somebody says how many downloads, if somebody is asking someone a question about their podcast and how many how many subscribers do you have or how many downloads do you get, the ego in you wants to answer a higher number. So the higher the number, the better in, according to ego metrics. The reality of it is the number of people that listening to your show are irrelevant based upon the success of your of your show. So it's really important early on to establish some some goals. And what are those goals? Are those goals, I want to build my email list to X amount of people. I want to, I want to get generate X amount of revenue from my podcast directly or indirectly. Do I want to have a certain amount of listeners that are taking action to something that I, you know, when I put out a call to action. So we have to try to we have to try to figure out early on in the game, even though it can change and evolve, but early on in the game, we want to establish what will be success to you if we are if we're able to accomplish this, you will say I've been successful. The challenge is a lot of people get into podcasting and they don't either have a goal or their goal is more. More is a really crappy goal <laughs> because <laughs> you'll never be happy if more is your goal. So we want to establish some realistic guidelines for what would be happy, you know, what would be successful. But there is no download number that will be success. I mean, unless you're Joe Rogan or or Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss, we are never as normal people going to get millions of downloads for your show. You'll you won't accomplish that and you'll only be looking at disappointment. Now, that being said, you might get millions of downloads over the course of time, but maybe not. Why don't we set a goal for a metric that actually means something? And and whatever that means something is, is going to be determined by what you're trying to accomplish with your show. Do you want to book more consulting jobs? Do you want to have more speaking engagements? Do you want to sell more books? How do we, you know, what is that number of books that we want to sell? So it's challenging to put a number on those things, but I'm happy to work through those things with someone that is in the early stages of considering starting a podcast because, you know, Somebody says to me, I want to sell 10,000 books in 30 days so that I can be a New York Times bestseller or whatever it takes to become a bestseller. Um, I might tell them this isn't the opportunity that they're looking for because I can't help them accomplish that goal. Mm -hmm. And speaking of podcasts and book sales, so how do you most effectively translate or I guess convert a listener into a book buyer? And are there other ways to monetize a podcast? Oh my gosh. Uh, my girlfriend and I, who is, she's also a, a podcast um, expert as well. We uh, we sat down one day and went through the different ways that we have monetized our podcasts over the last eight or nine years of building our shows. And we came up with 21 ways that you can monetize your podcast. So of course, and I'll share just a few of them with you, but of course, you're converting your audience into customers or buyers. That is definitely a great way to go. But if you have an online course, uh, if you uh, create a joint venture partnership with somebody in, either in your community or in the guest seat, if you directly buy or sell products or services with that guest, if you create a referral source, you know, you and I were uh, worked together on my show, The Nice Guys on Business. And as a result of that, I've had a couple of conversations with with Greenleaf uh, to to talk to them about about podcasting as an opportunity for your clients. So I would consider that some level of joint venture partnership. 
you're also going to have great conversations with people that won't translate directly into money or referrals or joint venture partners or affiliate relationships, but they're so good that you know that there is something in there. And I don't know how to categorize that other than say, I don't know how we're going to make anything of this together, but would you be open to having another conversation to figure it out together? As long as you are looking at this with the word opportunity in your brain, podcasting is opportunity, you will find the opportunity in uh, in podcasting. So that was just a handful of ways that you can make money podcasting. And I never even mentioned advertising and sponsorship because advertising and sponsorship, while it will make you money, national standards are you know 20 to $30 per thousand listeners to your show. So that means if you have 200 to 500 listeners listening to your show, you may only make 15 to $20 per episode as an industry standard. And I would say, gosh, that's just not enough for me to want a podcast. So <laughs> let's go for broke and let's start doing talking about things like book sales, consulting, speaking gigs, uh, joint venture partnerships, turning guests into clients, audience into clients, online courses, all of that. And uh, we've made millions from our show. And it it just seems like almost like it's unfair anymore because it feels like this is really cool. This is a great way. I don't have to focus and worry about where's my business coming from? Where's my next lead coming from? Because the podcast does that for me automatically. Awesome. Well, you've given us so much great advice today. Any parting thoughts for our listeners? And also tell us again where they can find you. Sure. Well, I I was told something by someone early on in podcasting and it it has stuck with me for the last nine or 10 years since 10 years since I started uh, thinking about launching a show. And and that is never let perfect be the enemy of done. So, (laughs) so many people in podcasting, they want to get that right edit. They want to get that right, you know, that that right uh, accent or the the best microphone, or they want to have that perfect VIP guest. And I'm like, don't pause or hesitate because you don't have the the ideal guests that you think your audience is going to want. The worst guests to me have turned out to be the best guests for my audience. So I've stopped guessing. <laughs> uh, so never let perfect be the enemy of done. I would say that that's, uh, that's probably my, my favorite advice to give someone that is thinking about starting a podcast. Right. That applies to books too, by the way. <laughs> there you go. And and the best way for somebody to to reach out to us again is uh, just go to the uh, the contact page on uh, turnkeypodcast.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You were a great guest and we certainly appreciate your time. Well, that's it for our episode with Doug. We hope you enjoyed learning about podcasting for authors. For notes and resources from today's show, go to greenleafbookgroup.com slash episode 78. You can also find advice for writing, publishing, and promoting your work in my book, Ideas, Influence, and Income, which you can learn more about at ideasinfluenceandincome.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. It means a lot to have your feedback and helps us make sure we're answering your publishing questions. A big thank you to Eleanor Fishborn and Madison Johnson, who produced the published podcast, and we will be back next month with another episode. Oh,